I just want to welcome everybody to this breakout session that's titled Developing Boundaries to Heal Codependency. And I actually had an interactive presentation prepared for you. But now that we're doing this in the COVID way, I am really missing your beautiful faces. Um, to help me today, I've invited my good friend Jean to join me in this dialogue. Thank you, Felicia, for inviting me and to participate. Um, you know, I myself have struggled with codependency, and um, I've also um, coached and consulted with many women who have um, who've had this topic come up in their lives. And I, I'm just very much looking forward to hearing what you have to share for us. Mm. Well, I'm just so glad that you're here. So I'm going to take a minute to introduce myself. My name is Felicia Wahlberg. I'm a counselor in private practice, and I specialize in story-informed trauma therapy. I work primarily with adults who have experienced childhood trauma and abuse. But really what this means is I spend a lot of time coming alongside my clients to help them explore how these past events are impacting current relationships. And today's topic of developing boundaries is discussed often in my office. I would say probably on a weekly, if not daily basis. So over the next hour, we're going to talk about three things. I want to describe codependency for you. I want to define boundaries and then I want to leave you with guidelines for setting healthy boundaries. And since the Encourage Conference is about taking off our masks and stepping into authenticity, I decided that the very best way for me to explain codependency is through story. So I'm going to share a bit of my own story of recovering from codependency. And really, I am, I'm coming to share this with you so that um, you know that each of us are travelers on the path towards healing. Some of us might be at the beginning of our journey and others are further down the road. But the truth is that we're all on this road together. If you would have asked me several years ago, to share about my upbringing, I would have painted you such a rosy picture. I, you would have heard me say things that I came from a large, close-knit family, that we did all the things that most normal families did. I excelled in school and sports and was close to my brothers and sisters. And that isn't wrong. Those are truths. But that was only half the story. Um, and... I just want to fill in some of it for you. Um, and these were things that really happened behind the door of our home. So just to give you some context, I do come from a large Catholic family where there are five kids and I'm number two in the lineup. I am the oldest girl in the family. My dad was a career military man and the way I would describe him is authoritative and completely in charge all the time. He was used to just snapping his fingers and things would happen around him. 
Before I was nine years old, he had been deployed to Vietnam twice. Once when I was five and again when I was about eight years old. And each time that he came home, he was a different man. The war had changed him. So as an adult, I can look back on that and know that my dad was suffering from PTSD. But from the perspective of a little girl, I was terrified. He was scary, and we were all afraid of our dad. It was as though he brought the war back with him, and our home was the battlefield. And my brothers and sisters and I were his target. The weapons that he used were verbal and emotional abuse, and sometimes physical, and that was under the guise of discipline, but that discipline was very harsh and done in anger. He was unpredictable, and we never, never knew what was going to set him off. It was like walking through a, la a landmine um, of not knowing where we're going to step our foot and an explosion was going to happen. So my dad drank as a way to medicate his pain. And the more he drank, the nicer he got, and the more sentimental he became. It soothed him and calmed him. And it was during those times that my dad would tell me, with tears welled up in his eyes, that he loved me and he was so proud of me and all that I was doing. But by the next morning, sadly, that mood had changed. He was mean-spirited again. And as a kid, I didn't know if my dad really loved me or not. His love was extended and yanked away, and extended and yanked away over and over and over. Oh, I can only imagine how hard that was for you when you were so young. And my heart just aches that you didn't know if you were loved or not. Yeah, um, Jean, it, it just left me with such a confusing message about my worth and value. And I, I would have to say that this is when shame entered my life for the very first time. It left me wondering what was wrong with me. Why wasn't I good enough to hold on to my dad's love? It makes sense that you would think that yeah. way. Uh, what I'm wondering about is where was your mom? How does she fit into this story? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, and before we, uh, before we jump to my mom, I wanted to also say that, that this, this scenario with my dad um, left me with the conclusion to that shame message. Um, it just taught me that I needed to try harder. I needed to work harder to be a better daughter mm. and to be um, a better student, a, be a better athlete, whatever. It set me on a course to perform for love. Yes. Yeah. Mm. And so where was my mom? Well, let me, I want to just explain a little bit about my mom or just describe her a bit the same way I did my dad. My mom actually was the pillar of our family. She was the glue that held everything together. She had a quiet strength, and she was a peacemaker. So if I had to assign her a role in this war scenario that I've painted for you, she was the medic. Mm -hmm. 
she would rush in and nurse our wounds. And really, she was caught in the middle trying to protect us kids while monitoring my dad's drinking and trying to manage his behavior. And that was a tough, tough role for her. And I could see the stress on her. And I knew that she felt desperate at times, wondering if she should stay or go. But honestly, a barrier to leaving was that she would be a single parent with five children and very few job skills. All of us kids were really, really close to our mom. And as the oldest girl, I was somewhat of her sidekick. I mimicked her. I studied everything that she did. And honestly, could say, I want to be like my mom. I just emulated her. Except for one thing. I did not want to have a marriage like hers. I distinctly remember at around 18 or 19 years old when I was headed off to college, knowing that I would probably, probably meet somebody, that I did not want to marry somebody like my dad. I knew that I wanted my marriage to be different. Unfortunately, if we don't understand our own vulnerabilities from childhood, we will likely repeat what is familiar. Oh, wow, that is really powerful. Um, can we hear that again? Yeah. If we don't understand our own vulnerabilities from childhood, we will likely repeat what is familiar to us. I met my husband when I was 23, and what caught my eye about him was that he was kind and easygoing, laid back. He was nothing like my dad. I'd become a Christian at the age of 19, and he was raised in the church, and he knew God's word, and this was very, very attractive to me. We had lots of conversations around our faith and scripture. So we dated for a few years and married, and eventually we had our two daughters. Our home was peaceful, unlike my childhood home. There wasn't any yelling or name-calling. There wasn't drinking or chaos. And we spent a lot of quality time together as a, as a family, investing in our little girls and investing in our marriage. And life was good. Until about year seven of our marriage, when I walked in on my husband watching a porn video. As you can imagine, I was shocked. I was hurt. I was devastated. And in that moment, my world turned upside down. Everything that I thought was true, I was questioning. I was shattered. I had no clue what I had just encountered. Because back in that time, at that time in my life, I had never heard the word sex addict or porn addiction. And when I confronted him, he blamed me for his behavior. So as you can imagine, what I heard in that moment were the very same shame messages that I picked up in my childhood. What was wrong with me? 
Why was I not enough for him? But like a sponge, I soaked up all the responsibility that he handed me, and I took it upon myself to fix this problem. And that set me on a 15-year quest to make sure that I was enough for him and that I could keep his attention. But what happened was over the course of those years, piece by piece, I gave myself away. I lost my voice and my personhood. I became anxious and depressed, and I started having all kinds of health issues. And guess what, ladies? <laughs> After all that, the porn didn't go away. In fact, it got worse. And then I discovered another secret. My husband was a closet drinker and abusing alcohol. Can you imagine what that triggered in me from my childhood exp experience? This sounded a huge alarm in my head. I knew something was very wrong. I've lived this before, and I knew I needed help. So it was finding that alcohol hidden in our home that jump-started my own healing journey. I wish I could say that things got better right away, but they didn't. It took time. It was a process. But what I can tell you is that God was so faithful in my process. He was faithful by connecting me to the right people who spoke truth over my situation and were knowledgeable on the issue of trauma, betrayal trauma, and addressing childhood wounds. Learning boundaries was instrumental in helping me sort out what my responsibility was and what his was. And over time, things began to shift in a positive direction for me. Oh, thank you so much for sharing that story and thank you for taking the mask off. Thanks, Jean. Well, I want to shift a little bit to give um, a visual diagram of what I was experiencing and relating it back to codependency. So, ladies, if you wouldn't mind turning, um, pulling out the handout that is entitled The Road to Healthy Relationships, I want to go over that with you. On the left, you are going to see a blue, what looks like a blue blob. And really, what that is, is that depicts two people where they are not well-defined. This is what codependency looks like. This is what enmeshment looks like. That's another word for codependency. In this type of relationship, I didn't know where I began and he, be he, he ended. In fact, I looked to him to tell me how I was doing. So if he was having a bad day, my day was worse. And if he was doing well, then I was doing well. Actually, I overfunctioned in his life and I underfunctioned in my own. And if you follow the dark blue line in the middle, you will then see what looks a Venn chart, a Venn diagram, where there is a healthy you 
well-defined and a healthy me well-defined with a shared us. That us stands for love and respect in a relationship. Another term for this is interdependent. And this is where we want to get to. But we don't just move from the blue blob on the left over to this well-defined uh, two people coming together in relationship. We have to do some steps in between. And you'll see the, the light-colored blue lines. Um, to the top, there is you. And that is what we call healthy detachment. You are beginning to identify who you are, what you believe, what you think, what you feel, how you behave, what your talents are, who you want to love, how you want to extend that love. You're developing your whole self. And the other person in the relationship is doing the same. So that eventually you can move into an interdependent relationship with a whole you, a whole me, and a shared us. Jean, um, what percentage of the population would you guess that falls into this codependent category? Oh, um, uh, let's see. Would 50% be too high? You know, would you believe it? It's much, much higher than that. Hmm. Here's what the research says. 90% oh. of men and women, this is not a female issue across the board, fall into this category of codependent. That's amazing. Yeah, it's, uh, it's crazy. So what that means is that 90% of us, 90% of all of us listening, have codependent relationships. And this might leave you wondering if you might have some of those. So what I'd like for you to do is to pull up the second handout that is titled Questionnaire to Identify Signs of Codependency. And just to give you a little bit more about this term, this codependency was actually a term that came out of the recovery community back in the 80s. And really my story kind of fits the classic definition because I was raised by an addict and I ended up marrying a rat addict. So basically what I was doing is I was altering my behavior to enable my husband to stay in his, his addiction instead of requiring him to take responsibility for his life. But over the course of these last three decades, that definition has way expanded and broadened to include all relationships. And doesn't that make sense? Absolutely. We're, yeah. We were, yes. we were meant for relationship. We were created for that. Yes. So as you pull this worksheet out, I want you to... Um, I want you to, I'm going to, I'm going to ask the questions and I want you to answer yes, this does happen to me, sometimes it does, or nope, that doesn't really happen. I also want you to think about codependency on a continuum. 
It's not an all or nothing. We might respond very codependent in some of our relationships and less codependent in others. So think about your relationships in a more broad sense. I want you to think about your immediate family, your husband and children, your extended family, your parents and siblings. I want you to think about your co-workers and ministry partners. Okay? Here we go. Do you keep quiet to avoid arguments? Do you tend to worry about other people's opinion of you? Have you ever lived with someone who hits or belittles you? Have you ever lived with an alcoholic or a person that has a drug problem? Are the opinions of others more important than your own? Do you have difficulty adjusting to changes at work or home? Do you feel rejected when significant others spend time with friends? Do you doubt your ability to be who you want to be? Are you comfortable expressing your true feelings to others? Have you ever felt inadequate? Do you feel like a bad person when you make a mistake? Do you have difficulty receiving a compliment or a gift? Do you feel embarrassed when your child or spouse makes a mistake? Do you think people in your life would go downhill without your constant effort? Do you frequently wish someone would help you get things done? Do you have difficulty talking to people in authority, such as the police or a boss? Are you confused about who you are or where you're going with your life? Do you have trouble saying no when asked for help? Do you have trouble asking for help? And finally, do you have so many things going at once that you can't do any of them justice? So ladies, if you have answered yes or sometimes to a handful of these questions, I just want to encourage you to be curious about that, to be curious if maybe you need some stronger boundaries in your life. So let's transition to boundaries for a moment. Boundaries, that middle line of that chart, boundaries, that is the antidote to healing codependency. 
Boundaries are a way to keep you safe physically and emotionally. They're a way of honoring yourself and other people. Boundaries is really about loving well. And boundaries was God's idea. This is not some made-up psychological concept. It is all over scripture, and I want to spend just a few minutes touching on some of the scripture that backs this up. Um, I think that Christian women, we can cringe sometimes when we hear that word boundaries because it says selfishness to us. I agree. That's that's really, from my early upbringing, it felt selfish yeah. to say no to someone. Mm. And it was almost a, it was a cultural thing, yeah. I think, for many of us, that as women, we do feel that added pressure to be the yes person. Mm-hmm. Um, when we, we really, that's okay for some healthy situations, but not okay right. when we're in unhealthy relationships. Right. We just start compromising and moving the line, and pretty soon we can end up in a corner. Right. Yeah. 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 So let's, let's go over a few of these scriptures. I want to start back in Genesis, um, in the creation story. God created the heavens and the earth. He separated light from darkness and the land from water. Those are all physical boundaries. God, in creating Adam and Eve, set a boundary for them. He told them, you can eat whatever you want, except for the fruit from this one tree in the middle of the garden. But Adam and Eve disrespected God's boundary, and there was a hefty, hefty consequence that they had to pay. There's lots of examples in the New Testament of Jesus setting boundaries. Jesus was on this earth as um, he stepped into humanity, and there are limitations with humanity. So when Jesus was tired from a full day of ministry, he got away from the crowd to spend time with his father. He rested and he fueled up again so that he could go out the next day and continue the work that he was called to do. When Jesus healed people, he didn't enable them. He required something of them as well. He would say to the lame man, pick up your mat and walk. You are forgiven. Go and sin no more. There were actions involved, and he required them to take a step forward. He did not enable. When the rich young ruler asked Jesus what he needed to do to enter heaven, Jesus spoke the truth. And when the young ruler decided that he really didn't want to give up all of his stuff, Jesus allowed him the freedom to make his own choice. We're image bearers of God, and that's part of the DNA that he's poured in to every human. We have choice. He wants us to choose him, but he's not going to make us. Right. Right. And I want to leave you one, with one last scripture out of Galatians. Galatians 6, 2-3. to three. 
it says, Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. For each should share, carry his own load. What do you think the difference is between a burden and a load? Oh, a burden sounds much, much heavier than a load. Yeah, exactly, exactly. A burden is something we can't possibly carry all by ourselves. So, Jean, if your neighbor just tells you that she's been given a cancer diagnosis, of course you're going to offer to help. You're going to see if you can bring a meal over or take care of her children or drive her to treatment. That is coming alongside her to help her carry that burden. Absolutely. Something that's too big for her to carry alone. But a load is something entirely different. A load is something that I am responsible for. I'm responsible to get up every morning and go to work. Even if I don't feel like it. I'm responsible to pay my bills and to make sure my car is serviced and to mow my yard. Those are all my responsibilities. Ladies, I'm wondering if I could ask you to pull out the next handout because I want to use this handout as an illustration to define boundaries for you. It's the, it's the, um, the cute little house. I wish that was my house. Oh yeah, that's charming. <laughs> yes. Me too. <laughs> so a simple definition for boundaries is a property line. And that line defines what belongs to me and what belongs to you. So imagine, if you will, as you look at this cute little house, that this house has a friendly fence around it. It's not a six-foot privacy fence. It's a four-foot picket fence. You can walk up to the fence line and see what's happening on the other side. And you can stand there and have conversation and connect with your neighbor. It's inviting. It's not a big wall between you. Imagine that your fence has a gate and the latch is on the inside so that you get to decide who you're going to open that gate to. If love comes knocking, then you're going to let it in. But if abuse comes knocking, then you're going to keep that gate closed. Everything on your side of the fence is your responsibility. You get to decide what color you want to paint it and what kind of flowers you want to plant. Maintaining your property is also your responsibility. And with responsibility comes consequences. If you don't maintain your property, it's going to cost you. For example, if you don't clean the moss off of your roof, eventually it's going to eat away at the shingles and the roof is going to leak. The same goes for relationships. If you don't take care of your if we don't take care of ourselves by putting our own oxygen mask on first, we are going to pay an emotional and physical 
cost. When we are codependent, we have a tendency to do one of to do one or other of these two illustrations. We have a tendency to jump our fence into our neighbor's yard. We are over there pulling his weeds and whacking down his blackberry bushes. Meanwhile, there's a jungle growing in our own yard and we don't even see it. <laughs> right. Codependent people are very compassionate and caring. But their caretaking actually is destructive to the relationship. There's a difference between caretaking and caregiving. When you care give, you are giving from a place of abundance. We have taken care of ourselves so that we actually have reserves to give to another person. In that moment, we're putting on our own oxygen mask first so that we've got lots of resources. But when we caretake, we're in a place of depletion. And we're actually needing to get something from the other person. I need you to like me, to think well of me. I need you to be okay so that I'm okay. Ladies, this is not what God calls us to do. When we jump our fence, we are becoming fixers or rescuers. And actually, this is God's job, not ours. He calls us to be good stewards of our own property. I really love that definition, Felicia. It's um, between caregiving and caretaking. I've actually never thought of it quite that way, um, but it really makes sense um, from where you're coming from. How we, Where we're coming from, we function in a different way, and coming from a place of abundance or versus a place of depletion, it really makes a lot of sense to me now. Yeah, good. Yeah, my hope is that this will give everyone a framework to help examine how you show up in a relationship and what's motivating you. The other thing that happens for codependent people is that we easily allow unsafe people into our yards. We tend to be peacemakers by nature. So we're really good at extending grace and mercy to others, but we avoid like the plague speaking the truth, or requiring any responsibility or accountability from them. It's so much harder, isn't it? Yeah, it sure is. Mm. We might feel selfish to ask what we, what we need or are guilty to say no to the neighbor that jumps his fence into our yard. But picture this. He comes into our yard. He takes control of our property. He decides... He doesn't like the color of our pretty blue house and decides he's going to paint it white or brown. He doesn't like the grass. It's too high maintenance. So he decides to put concrete down instead. And you know what? Pretty soon, we don't even recognize our own home anymore. Mm, so true. 
So when we allow our neighbor to jump his fence and take control of our yard, we now become a victim. And in this position, we begin to learn helplessness in relationships. Mm. We're in a down position, a one-up, one-down position. And again, ladies, this is not what God calls us to do. He calls us to be good stewards of our property. For the next five minutes, I'm going to ask you to take push pause to do a little exercise. And I think it's important for you to take this time. Otherwise, you might just blow past this. And um, I really want to help you uh, apply this to some of your own relationships. So please push pause after I give these instructions. I want you to spend time alone with your journal, or if you've got a friend with you, buddy up with her and have this conversation. And answer the, the next, the following two questions. Can you identify a relationship where you're not being a good steward of your property? A relationship where you think you might need some better boundaries? And then secondly, can you identify in your life if you have a tendency in this relationship that you've just identified to jump your fence into his or her yard? Or are you allowing him or her to jump their fence into your yard or get through the gate? Or, you, or maybe you're even opening the gate for them. And maybe you're doing both of these. So would you take the next few minutes just to sit, be honest with your heart, ask God to reveal what he wants you to know, and, um, and then we'll come back. Okay, welcome back. We're going to transition into um, identifying guidelines for setting healthy boundaries. There are five of them. The first one is to notice and name your emotions. What happens to us when we have codependent tendencies is we tend to abandon ourselves. We can't even name how we feel. So it, it, it takes practice. So I want to encourage you to um, pay attention to those emotions that come up. Take the time to scan your body, heart, mind, to identify what you're feeling. And here's another, here's another place that we've been told as Christian women, or just Christians in general, um, that we, don't, we shouldn't trust our emotions. And that's incorrect. Our emotions, God gave us those. So let's pay attention to them. Are you feeling resentment or anger, anxiousness? They're all trying to get your attention. 
It's just like the engine light on your dashboard. If you keep ignoring that, your car is going to get towed. Yes, it will. Same goes for you. Mm-hmm. Number two is to build a support system of safe people. This is especially important if you do have an abusive person in your life. You cannot go this alone. You need friends. You might need a counselor or a pastor to support you. I sort of liken it to Aaron. When Moses was tired and weary, Aaron came along and held up his arms. And this is what a support system will do for you. It will keep you going on the right track. You will feel encouraged. So number one is to notice and name your emotions. Number two, build a support system of safe people. Number three, decide what is okay and not okay for you. You might decide it's not okay for you to have an angry outburst at me. Or it could be, it's not okay that you make comments about my weight. Or that you get into my personal belongings. Each person is different, and so we each need to decide what is not okay for us. So, number one, notice and name your emotions. Number two, Build a, su a support system of safe people. Number three, decide what is okay and not okay for you. Number four is use simple and direct language to communicate what the boundary is and the consequence if the boundary continues to be crossed. I'm going to repeat that one. That's really good. That's that is a powerful, a powerful one. Um, yeah, I think I think we would all like to hear that again. Use simple and direct language to communicate what the boundary is and the consequence if the boundary continues to be crossed. And I wanted to say something about the consequence. The consequence obviously needs to be attached and linked to the offense. Okay? I have a formula that you can begin practicing with so that you can kind of get a feel for what this is like and in time it will just be feeling, will feel just more normal to you. But here's the formula. I feel and then you're going to insert the emotion. When you behave, you insert the behavior. I want to feel, insert the emotion. I need this to change. Identify the behavior that needs to change. And then finally, if you continue, this is the consequence. So what that can sound like is, I feel threatened when you yell at me. I want to feel safe to come and talk to you. So what I need is for you to speak calmly. 
And if you continue to yell, I just want you to know I'm going to leave the room. So you've talked about how it feels and what needs to change and then what you're going to do if it doesn't change. So let's do a quick review again. Number one is notice and name your emotions. Number two is build a support system of safe people. Number three, decide what is okay and not okay for you. Number four, use simple and direct language to communicate what the boundary is and the consequence if the boundary continues to be crossed. And then finally, be patient with yourself as you learn. Whenever we learn a new skill, it's clumsy at first. We need to practice. It's just like it's just like lifting weights. We can't go right in there and start lifting 50-pound weights. We start light and practice, but we do build up. It's like a toddler learning to walk. They fall and bump their head, but they keep getting up and moving forward. And in time, they know how to walk and they know how to run. So, um, yeah. Notice and name your emotions. Build a support system of safe people. Decide what is okay and not okay with you. Use simple and direct language to communicate what the boundary is and the consequence if the boundary continues to be crossed. And then finally, be patient with yourself as you learn. I just love what you just presented because it is a grace-filled, um, tangible way for us who struggle with codependency, to really work on healing. Mm -hmm. And I just, I, I thank you so much for sharing this information. It's, it's made a huge impact on me. And I know that it has made an impact on other women listening. And um, if we have more questions and we want to, um, we want more information on this topic, Felicia, how do we reach you? Oh, yeah, good, yes. Um, here is my contact information. You can reach me at this email address, Felicia, and that's spelled F-E-L-I-C-I-A, at livingwholehearted.com. And my direct confidential uh, telephone number and voice message is five, at 503-773-8628. Zero zero five zero three seven seven three eight six zero zero, and I just want to end by saying it has been my hope and prayer over this last year in preparing for this conference that my message would um, leave you with a few nuggets of truth that you can apply to your own life. And I hope that that's happened today. I hope that you can walk away with one or two things that you can immediately start incorporating into your own life. And I just want all of you to know that I am here if you need any resources. <laughs>